a minute, but I was, it was really cool. This last week, Joey and I were on a mothers and fathers call with some leaders that are all over, actually the country, but somewhere in like the Netherlands. Actually, there's a, it's a, it's through Bethel. It's a mothers and fathers call. There's only like 15 of us in this. It's a revival group where there's like 15 or 20 of us. And there's some pretty cool people in it. And this last week's call was with Chris Valentin. And I got really excited. And I had noticed this. Maybe I even mentioned it in here. When I saw that they named the last Bethel uh, prophetic conference, they named it Spiritual Intelligence, which I thought was interesting because I thought, well, it sounds like what we've kind of been talking about, but I'm not sure. And sometimes, and this is typical, and I am a revelatory teacher, and I am a forerunner, and I tend to teach things sometimes that are kind of skirting the edges, and they're sort of out there. Do you know what I'm saying? Where sometimes it can feel like, yikes, like this is treading on new ter territories. Some people could see it as dangerous territory, but with everything within me, I'm so convicted by the Holy Spirit that this is what he's saying right now, that this is what he's doing right now. I believe he is giving us tools for healing. He is teaching us how to open up like new pathways where transformation is just such a, a real and tangible thing. Did you know that transformation is actually measurable? If all of us were to open up our brains right now, or we all were connected to a brain scan machine, it could actually see where we have disempowered old pathways of thinking and new ones have been grown and created. We would see that, wouldn't we? If I have practiced in a certain area, not responding in this way anymore, but I have dug a new neural pathway, that other old pathway would maybe look faint and faded, and we would be able to see that I've developed new neural networks. So that shows that even on a physiological level, not just a spiritual level, not just an emotional level, but a physiological level, transformation is measurable. And what I love about hearing about these testimonies a couple weeks ago is you all are experiencing that. It's what you're seeing. So when I'm up here talking about this stuff, I am not just talking from a scientific standpoint and we could just all have a new philosophy or go to you know study psychology. I'm talking about this is God. It is heaven's wisdom, it's revelation. So when I noticed that they uh, named the conference Spiritual Intelligence, um, and I just, I haven't been able to really listen to a Bethel podcast or sermon in forever. Long, long time, and so I didn't really know what they were talking about in there, but on this call, at the end of the call, Chris started talking about spiritual intelligence. And he said, I don't know if any of you on this call get to listen to the sermons that are coming out of Bethel recently, but it is a good way to know what Holy Spirit is saying right now. And particularly through what I've been talking about with spiritual intelligence is that I believe that Holy Spirit, that we are learning how to open up new pathways of thinking and tapping into new spiritual intelligence. And it's actually this whole new field that we're walking into. And I felt so validated. <laughs> you know, here's Chris Valentin, like a, or tr like a true prophet of God. I felt so just affirmed and so excited and what God is saying, you know? It's that y'all aren't alone, that like actually Holy Spirit is communicating this, and we all have different flavors and different ways of saying it, but it is what he's saying. And I believe that in my own life, I can see it. I see over the last, I don't know, couple of years, such measurable transformation, such new ways of thinking, such new ways of being and doing, and, um, Many years ago, I did deliverance ministry and, and, and inner healing ministry, and I love that. I, I, and I want I love freedom for everyone. But you know that freedom does not automatically 
equal transformation. That's right. Freedom, we get excited about freedom. I am excited about freedom. Freedom is awesome, but it's the starting point. And we begin to walk out lives. Paul said, work out your own salvation. I get to walk out pathways in my life, and it takes deliberate practice. And I know it's much easier for us to just, and more fun, to stay in the woohoo realm. Woohoo, woohoo, you know, woo, never conference, woohoo, got my flags, and I'm gonna be so excited about this, and I can have no change in my life if I just stay there, right? So because of that, and I love deliverance ministry, and I love inner healing ministry, and we were seeing a lot of fruit, a lot of fruit. And the number one thing that most people would say right off the bat was, where's all the noise in my head? Like, where there was static and noise all the time, and then it just got dialed down. And they could, like, think clearly again. That's the beginning point. I can think clearly. I can discern which thoughts are my thoughts, and those are clearly not my thoughts. So we're beginning, and then we can start. So, But Mark Jones, who was my counselor, called Anne-Marie and I into his office because he'd heard about from some of the people, and he was excited about what we were doing, but he really wanted us to add the important element of what exactly we're talking about and doing right now is thought pathways. That when these people are getting delivered, that is awesome and it is so important that they have then have got to learn how to train their minds to think differently over and over and over again until it becomes an automatic habit. 90% of what we do, especially those of us over the age of 35, by the time you're 35, do you know that your identity and your personality and pretty much your way of being and doing is fully set? So we have just automatically now, I just do certain things and I act certain ways because it's just what I do. It's who I am. It's become habit. It's automatic. And we've talked about that a lot in here, how it runs in the fast track of the brain. I love all those personality tests. The latest one I love is the Enneagram. Does anyone know the Enneagram in here? Love that. So fun. Love to, like, discover what each other, you know, is. But it is not to excuse my bad behavior. It is not to excuse, well, that's just my personality type. I'm a seven. Seven's like adventure. We like to have fun. We like to change. You know, I have to take personal responsibility. And it's for areas of growth. It's for areas of transformation. It also helps me understand the community that God has put me in. It helps me understand my husband. So all of these little things are, they're great tools. But I have to be aware. Self-awareness is the number one. Like, if you've been around someone who's just so unself-aware, is that the word? Not self-aware. If someone who's just not self-aware, honestly, is not, you're not going to see a lot of change. Because the number one thing is I have got to be self-aware and recognize, okay, everything that I am automatically saying and doing and believing isn't the true me, the eternal me, the one that God created before the foundation of the universe. And so I get to stand, because God's made us able to do this, stand outside of myself and look at those thoughts, look at those attitudes, look at those beliefs and then work to change them. And that takes deliberate effort. So what we're doing in here is still just a great idea and philosophy if we don't go home and do anything about it. And I have heard from some of you who are actually like really putting this to practice and doing this and you're seeing amazing change in your life and that is so exciting to me. And I am too, hence me 
experiencing anxiety and going, okay, I'm going to meditate and do deep breathing, and then my stomach would blend up like a balloon. So I just learned how to do that better, and we'll all be good. Um, but like I said, so because years ago, when, and this is what it takes for a lot of us, trauma, a big, huge thing, shook my world up. And sometimes we need that to go, oh, I'm awake. What's really going on? Do y'all know what I mean? It doesn't always have to take that, but sometimes it takes that. So trauma, yikes, what's really going on? And it caused me to look at myself and go, wow, that's an issue probably. I called my sister. I was like, don't you hate it when people ask you to name the feeling? She's like, yes, I hate it. What's up with that? Why are we like that? And you find that in your family, you might be very similar. You might see things differently, but you might respond very similarly and, and be able and disconnect and then have ways of, it's that shiny person I put out there, my persona. And so... Um, today, what we're going to talk about is measurable change, and we're going to start to end, hopefully we will, um, begin to practice and actually just sit here, and, and it's something that I would do at home to be able to develop that new neural pathway and a new way of thinking on a really practical level. But number one, I want you to know, all of this is always, it's hashed out in relationship and in community. We are not lone rangers out there. We are not isolated. God has put us in community, in relationship, to be able to walk this thing out. Right? Right. It's dangerous if I just am out there by myself thinking this is right and this is God and doing this and I have no one to bounce it off of and I just think that I'm right. And that is self-destruction waiting to happen. So in community... We are made for meaningful, meaningful connection. We were made to live in harmony with each other. God has made us to live in harmony with myself, let me say this too, with our, our spirit and our soul and our body. We are three-part beings, and that three, they're all equally important. And we have tended to focus on the spirit and the soul and neglect the body. And I feel like right now what Holy Spirit is really highlighting is the body. How important it is to pay attention to our body. Our body will speak to us. Then our bodies are good and our bodies are holy and our bodies are meant to live in union with my spirit and my soul. And my mind actually does direct my brain and tells my brain, like, I don't have, I'm not a victim of my biology. And even when I say all that about our personalities and all that stuff by the time we're 35, the beautiful thing is our brains are neuroplastic and they can change. And we use our mind to change them. And so with my mind and my body, my soul, my spirit, it's all meant to be interconnected and live in harmony with itself. And I'm meant to live in harmony with you. We're meant to live in connection. It's why disconnection and disunion from one another is so painful. Remember we talked about the entanglement principle? A couple weeks ago, and the entanglement principle, it really is that we really are all one. If you turn to Ephesians 1, I'll read this, but you know, he thought of you and me, all of us, he planned before the foundation of the world. We all existed in his thoughts and his mind. We were in him before the foundation of the world, which means we were always meant to be one, right? And what quantum physics has discovered is that once something has been one or entangled, even though physically it is separated and maybe even geographically by thousands of miles, 
it is still energetically connected. Does that make sense? So on an energetically connected level, what I do still affects the whole. That's why we can say what you do unto others, do unto others as you would do unto yourself. That what I do unto others actually does affect me. What I do to me in my own body, myself, my being, me, actually does affect the body. So the freedom that I am getting, Kelly, the real, true, full Kelly, um, actually manifests great potential for change in my own personal little family and community, and my husband in my marriage, with my children, with my family, then with my good friends, with our church. Do you see that? We affect the body at large. So how free do you want to be? How free do we all want to be? My personal transformation then affects your personal transformation. That's, good, yeah. That's such motivation for me to want to be like healthy and grow. I'm going to work on me and you work on you. Yeah. You know, I'm not your Holy Spirit. I can't tell you like, oh, this is what you should do. Yes, we should have counselors and yes, we should talk to friends. But I take full personal responsibility. I am not a victim. I get to choose. Does that all make sense? Yeah. Okay. Did you turn to Ephesians 1? Ephesians 1, starting in verse 4, I'm in the Passion. Um, No, starting in verse 3. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all our hearts, and he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. Since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. This super abundant grace is already powerfully working in us, releasing within us all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. So all heavenly riches have already been given to us. Right here it says all forms of wisdom and practical understanding have already been given to us. And it is given to us, and it says here, this super abundant grace. Grace empowers me to be able to do what he says I can do. Grace empowers me to live this life. But Paul, if you looked at it, and I didn't didn't write it down today, says quite a few times, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Well, so if grace is grace, and it's, you know, how did we learn it? God's riches at Christ's expense. And yes, it is that, but it's so much more than that. Because grace is unearned. I didn't deserve it. I was given this as a gift. But if I give you a gift that is a brand new car, and it just sits in your driveway, and you never enjoy the fruit of that car and drive it, you're receiving my gift in vain. At the cost, like I, I picked it out, I chose it, and I, it's important, and that's why I gave it to you. So we can receive grace works for us when we put grace to work. I'm not saying that 
because the grace is the very opposite of works. I'm saying we receive his grace, and his grace works its way through my life as I live wholly dependent upon him. Faith works when we put faith to work, right? So all of these things, I recognize that they have been given to me already before the foundation of the world, and they are in me waiting to be enjoyed and enfolded. And as we are doing this in community together, it is how the whole body gets healthy and whole. He goes on in Ephesians 4 to say that's how the body grows itself up in love and into maturity. Are y'all with me? Yes. I have a point. I am going to. Um, first, turn to 1 Corinthians 3. <coughs> so remember I said that freedom does not automatically equal transformation. And it can also be said freedom does not automatically equal spiritual maturity. Freedom does not automatically equal transformation. And freedom does not automatically equal spiritual maturity. Please stop for a second. Paul talks about that right here. And he says, starting in verse 1, brothers and sisters... When I was with you, I found it impossible to speak to you as those who are spiritually mature people. For you are still dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Let me, talk, let me stop right there real quick. Keep your finger there. Sometimes we think of the flesh, we immediately go, oh, well, that's not me because the flesh means I am like doing bad stuff. The flesh is like carnal. The flesh is, yuck, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we just immediately are like, oh, that's the flesh and I don't do that anymore. But the flesh is what's it's dominated by our senses. Whatever I think, whatever I feel, however, it's just that. It's the sense-ruled realm, realm, okay? He says, for you are still dominated by the mindset of the flesh. And because you are immature infants in Christ, I had to nurse you and feed you with milk, not with the solid food of more advanced teachings, because you weren't ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready to be fed solid food. This is why. For you are living your lives dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Here's how we know. Ask yourselves, is there jealousy among you? Do you compare yourselves with others? Do you quarrel like children and end up taking sides? If so, this proves that you're living your lives centered on yourselves, dominated by the mindset of the, of the flesh, and behaving like unbelievers. For when you divide yourselves up in groups, a Paul group, an Apollos group, you're acting like people without the Spirit's influence. The English Standard Version says you're acting like mere men instead of supernatural beings, who you are. If we are those who are not dominated by the mindset of the flesh, it it shows that when I begin to sit back and compare myself with someone else, and typically, well, we do it both ways, I guess, depending on what what is more of your MO. If I have a total victimization spirit and and a rejection spirit, I'm going to compare myself and I'll never measure up. Or, if I'm feeling the air of superiority, I will measure myself against others and think I'm always better than them. You know? When I am doing that and I am dividing myself and cutting myself off from the body, which we now know because of entanglement and other spiritual principles, I'm affecting the body when I do this. When I stand back and compare and judge, when I'm looking for someone to side with me, you know, when somebody hurts your feelings and the first thing we want to do is go grab a friend and tell them so that I have somebody now on my side. Because I feel better now, because yeah. How dare them talk about you that way? They should, you know, Paul is saying you're you're just infants. 
Like, you're supposed to be a supernatural being who's like fed with solid meat, and I am still having to feed you like a little baby with milk. And you're dominated by the sense-ruled realm, which means you're going to continue to live out of your old pathways in your thinking. You're just going to keep doing the same old thing. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're going to go round and round and around. And so sometimes, and I said it was trauma for me, it could be many things, or we just literally stop and we shake ourselves awake and we're like, no, I refuse to do that anymore. I'm going to go down this other pathway and I'm going to act exactly in the opposite spirit of how I was acting as a baby or as he says, as a mere man, right? Do you see that? <clears throat> okay, so, um, oh, I forgot to read you the scriptures about being one, but... Do we need to do that? Let's do it really quickly. Ephesians 4. Go to Ephesians 4. I quoted it, but not exactly. Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16. I'll start at 13. These grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness into the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God, and finally we become one into a perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed into the abundance of Christ. And then our immaturity will end, and we will not be easily shaken by trouble, nor led astray by novel teachings or by false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies. But instead, we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. All our direction and ministries will flow from Christ and lead us deeper into him, the anointed head of his body, the church. For his body has been formed into his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. And every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body. We are built up and made perfect in love. <clears throat> so his body is formed in his image. And we have we are growing up together. We don't grow up, I don't grow up independently by myself into the full mature man. We grow up together into that. It's it's his design. First Corinthians 12, 26. <clears throat> In that way, oh wait, start in 25. He has done this intentionally so that every member would look after the others with mutual concern and so that there will be no division in the body. In that way, whatever happens to one member happens to all. If one suffers, everyone suffers. If one honor is honored, everyone rejoices. That is a healthy body. That is a body that's growing up into perfect maturity and the perfect manhood. Remember when I told you that the, the uh, term for the Trinity that the old theologians, theologians, theologians gave uh, to the Holy Spirit, Father and Son, to the Trinity, is perichoresis. Mm -hmm. And one good definition of that is when one weeps, the other tastes salt. If we have been made into the image of him, that three-part being, if we've been made into his image, then this right here, when one suffers, everyone suffers. 
that if we adopt that attitude, that it is not just about me, that I am self-aware enough to recognize that everything does not revolve around me, and it is not all about me, but it is about the collective whole. It's like even when Michelle was talking about breathing and all of us together breathing, it's like I could hear this one big collective breath, like this one big collective exhale. And, and you know that sometimes like, you do, that's why I have to sleep with sleep machine, because when I hear somebody else's breathing, don't you, you want to get into rhythm with it? Yes. <laughs> like when I hear Joey breathing loudly, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, so I have to like keep my breathing in tune with his. So now I just crank the sleep machine up so I can just breathe however I want. But, but I think there's something to that, that we really are meant to be living in this divine dance. It is also what they called perichoresis was a divine dance. It's a mutual ebb and flow. It's how the Holy Spirit functions with itself. It's how we are meant to function. It is how my body, I believe, myself, my mind, my body, my spirit, my soul, I'm, I'm meant to ebb and flow and give. I'm, ta- I'm not like demanding and I'm not forcing. It is a totally different feel. Do you see that? And I think that when we begin to step back into and just still and quiet our minds and get in connection with who Christy was talking about, the God of the universe, who puts breath in my lungs, like the when I get into touch with that and I get into a quiet place and in stillness, and I'm going to read something about that at the end, then I am able to then tap into spiritual intelligence of who he's saying I am. I get to calm and quiet and settle my soul as I'm listening to him speak instead of trying to have the culture out there and everyone out there define me. Tell me who I am. Tell me who I am. Um, if you turn to uh, verse... I mean, for, uh, Romans 12. We read it a million times, but I want to read it again to kind of launch into where we're going. Turn to Romans 12. <clears throat> Y'all can ask me questions too if you need to, if I'm not being as clear as I'd like to. Romans 12, and I'm just going to read verse 2. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. So stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. I think that sometimes when we think of culture, we immediately just think of the word world. Americans. The culture that we see, the political climate, the, the place around here in Alamo Heights, or just what the culture around you. like. But culture, every culture has an ecosystem to it. And an ecosystem is made up of living organisms and energy that have to be kept in balance to stay alive. So a family has a certain ecosystem. And it's learned its rhythm, and it has learned its balance. And what happens when somebody decides to start to operate outside of that ecosystem? Do you, do you all ever experience, I mean, I am 54 now, well, I'm 54 years old, and I've had a lot of life and a lot of maturity happen, and a lot of transformation happen, and a lot of experience, and I've, I know a lot about this stuff, but have you ever experienced like when you all go back home and you're with your siblings or your parents, you literally yeah. all slide back into just exactly who you always were in the pecking order? Yeah. 
Like you kind of look up and you're like at the Thanksgiving table and you're like, wait, what? How did this happen? It's so weird. Yeah, it's not who I am. This is not who you are, you know? Like my brother is an amazing man of God and pastor and who cares that he did not used to have good directional sense and we get lost everywhere he went. He's not a lost individual, but yet we, we kind of like, oh, well, that's what he does and here's my sister, she's the baby and here I am, you know? That's an ecosystem that's wanting to maintain status quo. <laughs> maintain the balance. Do not upset the, right? So, if we're imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around us, that could be in your marriage, in your family, in your friend group, in your church, in any organization in the city, and we're allowing the outside ecosystems to define me. This is who I am. And we might even say that. I am a San Antonian. I am a Republican or a Democrat. I, you know, so we begin to think then, our thinking gets equal to the environment around us. Um, let me see if I need to say this. Do you know what mirror neurons are? So. Let me just say this. Maybe I should say it later because I think that there's a place that's going to work better. I can say it now and I can say it again later if I have to. Um, children, children learn from when they're babies by looking at their mother's face or their father's face. And they learn to mirror what they're seeing in that face. Even like if you were to walk down the street smiling, like when you smile largely at somebody, they literally, their, their neurons are mirrored to smile back even if they don't want to. Now granted, you could probably try to, you know, but we're meant to respond. So if you've had a really loving, nurturing environment and you've had the loving gaze and attention of a parent and were well nurtured, then you, you're having, you're already like expectant of all good, right? But if you haven't, let me tell you, you still can get it because we're gazing into the face of Jesus. And we're going to read that at the end. I knew that there was a reason I was going to say it at the end. We are beholding him as in a mirror. And I am mirroring back what I am seeing in his face. I am hearing what he is saying. And I am then reflecting that in my little ecosystem into my world around me. So even if we didn't have that or you did not have that early on and that mirroring thing happening, we get a completely new reset when we're in Christ. And it's him, the loving, reflective gaze of a good father that is reflecting back to us. But it's why we have got to learn to be still and quiet and look at him and listen. And that's all. Okay, I don't want to do that. Never mind. Um, so, okay, so change and transformation that I'm talking about when we're talking about ecosystems, when we're talking about not imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, um, it's not just on a psychological level or a physiological level. It is both, and it is also on a spiritual level. And without getting into it today, I'm sure you've heard of emotional intelligence. There's emotional intelligence. There is physiological intelligence. There's my IQ. There's my EQ, and there's also spiritual intelligence. And I believe that all three of those, and I'm not going to go into it any further today because I honestly haven't 
pressed into it more, but I think that all three of those things are super important to our health and to the health of the body. And transformation, being measurable, um, and being an inside job is be going to then begin to manifest on the outside, and I am then dictating the culture around me. I am changing the culture around me. The culture is not changing me. If I know who I am when I walk into a place, I could feel a little maybe fear and intimidation beforehand. I could be thinking, yikes, that's a scary group. They're all super strong people, and they know way more than I do. But if I remind myself, and we're going to talk about this in a second, I am reminding myself, and I am remembering who I am, and I am rising up into that and the full authority and the anointing that's in that, I can go into any atmosphere and not allow the atmosphere to intimidate and push me back, but I get to push back on the atmosphere and stand in who God's made me to be. Have you all experienced that? And sometimes it's really important to do. Um, so spiritual intelligence is that you might be born with a certain IQ. The great thing is we can actually grow our brains, and the more we do as we get even older, like I can actually even stretch and grow new neurons and synapses and actually become smarter. Spiritual intelligence, though, is you have access. You have full access by inheritance to the creative genius of the universe. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians 3, and I'm going to look at verse 16. <clears throat> the difference that you have as a born-again believer with Holy Spirit living inside of you versus, say, someone else who doesn't, is it's talking about an unbeliever or a pre-Christian -pre out in the world. And it says, the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now, the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit, and wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. We can all draw close to him, and the veil removed, with the veil removed from our faces, and with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If you look then at verse chapter 4, verse 4, talking about pre-Christians, it says, Even if our gospel message is veiled, it is only veiled to those who are perishing, for their minds have been blinded by the God of this age, leaving them in unbelief. Their blindness keeps them from seeing the day spring light of the wonderful news of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the divine image of God. So the God of this world is out there using... It says even here at the, in, the, in the bottom, trickery, deceit, accusation, and slander to blind people's hearts. And so we're surprised when people act the way they do or say the things they do or believe what they do or post on Facebook what they post or are in the news saying what they're saying. They're blinded. There's still a veil over their hearts. They don't have access to the creative wisdom and intelligence of heaven. Right? But you do. Ephesians, okay, turn to Ephesians 2. Am I giving you all too much Bible? There's no such thing. No such thing. Turn to Ephesians 2. 
So before, when you're a pre-Christian and you don't have access to that, before we had the Holy Spirit and a recreated nature, we also were like that, weren't we? And it explains it. Paul explains it here in chapter 2. And his fullness fills you, even though you once were like corpses, dead in your sins and offenses. It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion, customs, and customs and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm, who fills the atmosphere with his authority, and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. The corruption that was in wait, the corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life. We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath, like everyone else. So before we had our recreated nature, before we had Holy Spirit, we also expressed the deeds and the desires of our self-life. We're self-absorbed. We live around self. Everything revolves around self. And it says there are natural cravings and the thoughts that our minds dictated. So, hang on. When I'm born again and come into Christ, and he is telling me who I am, and I, I want to look at this first now because I don't think I'm going to have time to get to it. Um, Turn to 1 Corinthians 2 really quickly because I don't know that we'll be able to have time to read it a little bit. Um, okay, just jot it down right there. We don't have time to go there. Basically, you know, it is Holy Spirit who knows God's thoughts. It said, who knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit that's in you? Like, you know what's on your heart, right? Like, even though I'm prophetic, I can't really read your mind right now. Like, I don't know what your thoughts are. But you know them. Your spirit knows them. And it's saying here in 1 Corinthians 2 that who knows the thoughts of God except God himself? Yeah. He knows his own thoughts. And then Paul even quotes, and I, and I like it, it's in verse 16, and people have used it wrongly, um, and it's separate out here in my Bible, and in yours it might be italicized. It says, for who has ever intimately known the mind of the Lord well enough to instruct him or to become his counselor? Paul is quoting an Old Testament scripture there. Not, that's not doctrine for us in the New Covenant. Paul is going, we do. He quotes an Old Testament scripture and he says, Christ has and we possess Christ's mind. So who's ever known the thoughts of the Lord? That's quoting from Isaiah. Isaiah is saying this. Who's ever known the thoughts of God to actually instruct him? But now Paul is going, yeah, we may have been that way, but now we actually do. We have been given Christ's mind. It means that I have been given through the access of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, and he knows God's thoughts, and he communicates them to me in language that I understand. It's why the prophetic is so beautiful, and it's so varied and different. Because he speaks to you in the way he knows you're going to understand, and it's usually based upon life experiences that you've had. And so then you might give a prophetic word or speak to encourage somebody based kind of on that language, right? Or you might even have some more uh, awareness of where they're coming from, and you're looking for language that you know they're going to hear. Or Holy Spirit communicates it to you in language that he knows they're going to hear, right? So we have way one up in the game. Because we are left without excuse like we know God. 
And so if I am wanting to grow up into maturity and I am wanting my life to be transformed, if I don't want to live equal to my environment, because change and transformation means that I'm able to live and think and believe and be greater than my environment, greater than how I feel. I'm getting ahead of myself. But who we are. So when I begin to listen to Holy Spirit, he is telling me, and I'm looking at him in the mirror, and he's telling me, Number one, who you are not. That, that's not you. Like, I know you've thought that about yourself, Kelly. That is not you. That may be the person you thought you were. It might be the persona you created, but that's not you. And this is who you are. And who you are as a kingdom believer. Um, Romans 14 says that the kingdom realm that lives within you, is, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You are right with God. There is no more trying hard, striving, performing. You're as right as right can be. You're as right as you will ever be with God. There is nothing between you and him. So I can rest in that. And I have full access to limitless joy at all times. Joy really is who you are. Limitless joy, peace, love, all of that. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So in Holy Spirit, that's who I am. I've been made one with him. And so I have access to all of that at all times. It should be like an overflowing river. The enemy wants to blind us and distract us and make us feel cut off from it. But, but the truth is that we never are. That that's who we are. So that's how we talked about it weeks ago, about closing the identity gap, right? Between who I think I am and try to be and perform to be but who, and who I really am. And some of that stuff really does take me reminding myself. I'm unmemorizing how I've always been. Of unmemorizing or unbecoming um, our state of being, the state of being that I've always had. So let me tell you this about a, this is what a state of being is: the thoughts that you think, and the attitudes that you adopt, the feelings that you feel, they create a state of being in us and are then reproduced in the environment around us. The thoughts that you think, the attitudes that you adopt feelings you feel, they create a state of being in us, and they are then reproduced in the environment around us. So to change our lives, to have transformation, we must fundamentally change the way that we think, act, and feel. That takes deliberate process and practice. It is a deliberate, intentional, everyday act. Caroline Leaf says that it takes at least 63 days to change a mindset. To get a new pathway. And that's every day. Renewing your mind. Having your mind being renewed. So we have to change then our state of being. We have to be able to think greater than your present circumstances in your life. You have to be greater than the feelings that you have memorized in your body. Like if Joey will say something to me like, well, Kelly, you don't have to do that. I'm like, well, this is how I feel. Like it's the gospel, you know? <laughs> or I don't do it because I don't feel like it. Feelings, just the way thoughts have dug neuropathways, feelings have too. Feelings have been memorized in my body. Trauma has been lodged and memorized in my body. There's different parts in my body, without even knowing it, goes into automatic habit process, just like my neuropathways do. Have you ever, and this is so interesting, and I think I'm getting ahead of myself, but I don't care. 
Um, have you ever had somebody say, well, like it happened to me the other day. What was Andy doing? Oh, so, no, Joe was like, hey, give me, what's your password on your computer? Like, how do I get into your computer? What's your password? And I was like, I, I had to, I couldn't say it, but my body remembered it. As soon as I got my hands on the computer, I could just do it. Typing, just automatic habit for you right now. Like, you don't have to think about it. When we had to change some stuff on our, like, Netflix, whatever, and so they had the keyboard up on the screen, I couldn't do it because I couldn't, I needed to type it. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Yes. I was having trouble with the dumb clicker, moving it to the all the things because I needed to go, like, I was going, Annie, the letters aren't in the right places. And she's like, Mom, it's a keyboard. <laughs> And when I looked at it again, I was like, oh, yeah, they are in the right places, but I don't know that by this. I know it by my body. So our body, just like our brains, memorizes and remembers things. So it's not enough to just change the way that you think. You also then have to change the way that you feel. And that, in turn, changes the way you act and the things you believe. That's where transformation happens. It's big and it's all-encompassing. Okay? You okay? Yeah, no, when you're saying that, that when I looked up what is the state of being, this is noun state of being, plural states of being, the overall physical condition of a person as opposed to the mental condition, state of mind. It's all of it. It encompasses all of it. It's like connecting. You're talking about the connection of the two. Yes. Okay, so when you continue then to repeatedly think and feel the same way that you did yesterday, the same way you did before that, day after day, you continue to create the same circumstances in your life, which will cause you to experience the same emotions, which will influence you to think the same way, equal to those emotions. What's the definition of insanity? So when we continue to think a certain way and feel a certain way, and we actually have the thing happen to us again, which just reinforces that what I thought and felt was true, so I'm going to continue to think and feel that way. I am just reinforcing that thing, right? As, that's, that is the verse, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Neuroscientific theory tells us that the brain is organized to reflect everything we know in our environment. All of the information that we've been exposed to in our life in the form of knowledge and experience is stored in the brain's synaptic connections. Your brain is literally a record of your past. All the people you've known, all the places you've visited and things you've seen, um, all of the experiences that you've had, all of that is stored in our brains in its memories and we have access to them. <clears throat> Even all of the actions and behaviors that we've memorized by repetition and frequently performed, they're hard, hardwired into the folds of gray matter in our brain, in our neurons. And these are memories that are formed by our external environment, right? It's neurons that fire together, wire together. The more I continue, to act in the same way, believe the same thing, feel the same thing, those neurons are actually getting more and more energy. They're getting stronger and stronger and stronger, that it's harder and harder to get out of that rut of thinking or believing. So during the, the when we're awake, we routinely interact with our environment, right? I can't help it, I'm interacting with my environment. 
And what happens is it activates certain brain chemicals. It flips a switch. We could maybe call it getting triggered, right? And what do we mean by that? It's nearly an automatic response. I am just going along in my day and something happens and my brain wakes up, I'm triggered. This feels super familiar. I know I've experienced this before and my brain, if we could see, is literally going searching, searching, searching. Like, where do we, oh yeah, this is what rejection feels like. Yeah, rejection feels this way. I'm thinking the thought, she didn't say hi to me, she never says hi to me, she doesn't really like me, I know she doesn't really like me, and I think that she's rejected. And immediately my body knows how to send messages up my brain, my spinal cord into my brain, and it feels like rejection. Oh yeah, this feels very familiar. So without even knowing it like that, we have just reinforced once again this pathway. Isn't that crazy? And that's how we then just continue to be equal to our environment. My environment is mirroring to me, and I'm like, yep, looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, must be a duck. You know, it feels familiar, it feels true. Unless I decide to flip that off and force myself to think in a new way. You know? Okay, I need to keep going. Y'all good right now? Yes. Okay. Huh? Like with spinal injuries and stuff like that, since that's the kind of the pathway to the brain, does that affect? It does affect, but it is crazy when you're looking at neuroscience what some of the things that they can do now with that in connecting some of those pathways. I'm going to talk about it a little bit in a minute. Uh, maybe we'll answer the question better then. But yes, it does. Um, okay, where was I? So we immediately begin to think. So it's just like that vicious cycle. We keep repeating the path, the pattern. So you are reminding yourself who you think you are in reference to the outer world. Your identity becomes defined by everything around you because you identify with it. Oh yeah, I identify with that, that feels familiar. Um, and it's why we repeat the past. We just create more of the same. It reinforces the pathways, making it easier and easier to fire in unison again. Unison again. It's like, um, I. I noticed this about myself. It's like I would take just blame for stuff, like I would, or I would just say, oh, I feel bad. Oh, I feel bad I didn't say that to that person. Or I feel bad I forgot to call her back. Or I feel bad, does anybody else like? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not calling it guilt, because I think guilt sounds like a strong emotion, and I'm like not gonna label myself as guilty. But that's what that is. That I, for so long, have accepted blame or responsibility for some things that really weren't even accurate or true or my fault, but because it is so wired into me, literally hardwired into me to take responsibility and feel blame and feel guilt that it's just an automatic response. So I then have to be able to catch myself and as soon as I hear myself going, oh, I feel so bad, I and I'm like, okay, no. Like I have to literally shake my head awake and decide that I'm not gonna continue down that default pattern. When I said that I'm experiencing anxiety right now, and I'm feeling, I've been feeling, it's so weird. There's no thought in my head. I'm not even, I could be watching a TV show. And all of a sudden, I can feel anxiety in my body. And I'm like, this is so bizarre. Where is this coming from? Like, but, but it makes me stop, direct my attention, focus on my breathing, get still, and start to connect to God. What's going on? Is this me or is this the atmosphere? Okay, it's the atmosphere, you know, whatever it is. But the good thing is, is that I am feeling in my body. That that is a new thing. Like, I can feel that. And now I can label the feeling. I know what it is. I then know what it's attached to. 
So I, could see, I was even telling Joey last night, and this is, okay, this is a vulnerable process. So I have certain situations in my family going on with my children. There's a certain situation with my oldest son and his wife. My middle son, who's getting engaged, and they're trying to plan the whole, the whole wedding process, which, you know, could be stressful in itself. All of that. Then with my daughter. And then just with Joey's business. Some very familiar, scary stuff has come up. Very familiar. Very scary. So I can look at any one of those things and go, oh, well, that makes perfect sense of why I would be feeling anxiety. But that's not enough. Like, I had to identify what then is attached to it. Anxiety is just a symptom. Yeah. It's manifesting itself out here. So I have to trace back and go, what is that? So last night I, I could connect and I told Joey, I could look at each one of those instances and I can't control that one. I can't control this one. I can't control that one. And I can't control that one. They are all out of my control. So the bottom line is control. Wow. Control. Oh, that's good. Which is rated in fear. So then I can go, okay, Lord, man, <laughs> I didn't know I had that, but literally I'm watching a TV show on Netflix, bam. <laughs> so I have to, thankfully now I'm self-aware enough to pull back and go, okay, stop, pause, what is this? It's control, it's rooted in fear, it's manifesting in my body, which it will, and dialing with God and then start to do, and I'm not done, I'm still in the middle of it, that's why I said this is a vulnerable process, this just happened yesterday. I'm still processing that with him. But unless I know and am able to get to the root of it, then I can't do anything about it. So it might have felt like bliss when I was living in ignorance, didn't feel anything, just was skirting through life. But the truth was, I wasn't really becoming or being the full true me. It wasn't real. It's not real to numb out. It's not real to just like have something happen and just pretend like, well, that's not happening and I'm just gonna go shopping, spend some money, you know? Because we get addicted to that stuff that keeps us from really feeling. Yeah. And it's what? It's all fake. Yeah, it's fake. It's not real. It's all facade. It's all facade. It's all fake. So, okay. Are you good? Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you really quickly about something else. We have time here. Um, can I read? This is interesting to me. And, I, and then... I'm going to read you this, and I think we're going to end, and I'll do what I want to do another time. Can you tell me? Identity is defined by. Identity is defined by. Did I say that? Yes. Oh, shoot. That's okay. I'll get Sometimes I, if I identify with the environment around me, but I don't know. That's We're not supposed to do that. I'll find it. Let me do this really quickly. This is really important. Okay, okay, let me tell you this really quickly. Thoughts. A thought is actually a biochemical reaction in your brain. You make a chemical, the brain then releases specific chemical signals to the body, which is where we're just talking about broke, the spinal cord, where they act as messengers of the thought. When the body gets these chemical messages from the brain, it complies instantly by initiating a matching set of reactions directly in alignment with what the brain was thinking. Then the body immediately sends a confirming message back up to the brain that it is now feeling exactly the way the brain is thinking. Okay, that's called a thinking and feeling loop. So now my body and my mind are acting as one. 
It's doubly empowered. So what that would be like is um, I have a stressful thought, and as soon as I start thinking that stressful thought, immediately my body sends the chemicals that it knows how to act stressful and feel stressful. So all of a sudden, stress. Right? Anxiety is the same. Sex. I mean, it's true. Like, if you're thinking thoughts of sex and, and mental fantasy of sex, your body releases chemicals and hormones that's then ready for sex. Right? That's how we are designed to work. And our body is designed to work for us, not against us. So we have to learn how to re-memorize what we allow our thoughts to stay meditated on. It's why we have to fix our thoughts. Philippians 4 in the Passion says, fix your thoughts on all that is authentic and real. Yeah. And so when I'm doing that, my then body learns what it feels like to be in a state of peace. Oh, this is what peace feels like. Back up to the brain. The brain's thinking thoughts of peace. The body feels peace. We're now doubly connected, and it's like it's a loop. It's called a feeling-thinking loop. Um, it's what we mentally rehearse. Mental rehearsal is that through mental rehearsal, which is repeatedly um, imagining, performing an action, the circuits in the brain can reorganize themselves to reflect our other objects. So we can, basically we can make our thoughts so real that the brain changes to look like the event has already become a physical reality. This is really important, especially in the realm of prayer ministry and inner healing, because when we begin to think thoughts so intensely that our body then is feeling them equally intensely, they're so real that the brain thinks it is happening right at that moment. It's why post-traumatic stress is so, it's so, it's so horrendous, because you are reliving it over and over and over again. You can use that same process in Exactly. So that's why I'm saying so inner healing. So when we learn to reframe, we can reframe the thoughts. We can re remove that trigger and rehearse over and over again what, the, what it actually feels like to feel peace. Or this is where Jesus was in this moment. Or whatever it is that we're doing inner healing-wise, prayer ministry-wise, I can now reframe that thought, refeel that thought, and I meditate on that over and over and over again so that that old synapsis, the old neuropathway is now smoothed over and this one is what's real. This is what's authentic. This is what's real and it replaces that old one. It takes deliberate practice and work. The body can't tell the difference between imagination and... Exactly, yes. And so like even in a dream, you think, your body thinks you're really experiencing that. Like it really thinks it's happening. That's why terror, night terrors are so terrible. Is it really, your body really does think it's happening. This was interesting in just light of this. They did a study, and I can't remember how many participants or how long, but they, took, they did a study and they took groups of people and one group of people every day for several hours practiced certain, what is it called on a keyboard, piano? Chords. Scales. Scales. Scales on a piano, okay? Every day, same keys. They took a new, another group who also practiced the same scales, but they never touched the keys. When they studied their brains at the end of this time period, there was no difference in the brain scans. They all grew the exact same numbers of brain circuits. So those who were actually physically playing the piano and touching it, and those who never were, they were just re mentally rehearsing it, it was as if it was the exact same thing. 
you remember when, if you see like in the Olympics or something, especially at the hurdles or a race, you'll see the track person like going like this. They're watching the whole race in their mind. They're literally living the whole race in their mind. They see where they're going to jump. They see where they're going to pick up speed. And then they come to the, and they'll do it over and over. They are developing the mental pathway in their brain long before they ever run the race. So mental rehearsing, what we rehearse over and over and over again in our minds is super important yeah. because we will then live into that exact circuit of reality. So what are we meditating on? That's good. Worry when you're laying there at night and I'm just worrying and I'm literally just thinking the problem. I'm not thinking the solution. I'm thinking the problem. Yeah. And it is just this feedback loop. Yeah. And it's just reinforcing the problem. Right? So like really, I mean, we have to like literally arrest our thoughts, like literally arrest them and stop them and beat them up and throw them down and make them stop. Maybe not that, because that's probably, well, that's probably negative, that's not, that's not helpful. But arrest them and stop them moving in the opposite direction so we can reframe. Um, okay, I'm not gonna beat y'all up today. So let's end with, um, this. Kelly, this is so, so good. <laughs> like, so good. Yeah. It's powerful stuff, for sure. Yeah. And Amazing. Can so I just throw powerful. in, just to reiterate, because yep. I am involved in that kind of ministry, yep. over and over and over again, we say, you have got to embrace and entertain the new thought mm -hmm. to the same degree yeah, that good. you've been rehearsing and entertaining and embracing the old yeah. thought. Right. Yeah. The new, if you can ask the Lord, <laughs> what do you say about this? If you're lying there, mm -hmm. yeah. replaying pain, replaying anxiety, replaying stress, whatever it is. Yeah. If you're in that loop, the Lord will give you the thought that will interrupt mm -hmm. and change all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can get that thought in a prayer appointment. You can hear yeah. from him and yeah. get the new thought. Yep. But if you don't take it up, right. just as you have laid out today, right. it will not transform you. Right. Yeah. Nope. And one of our friends, John Roper, says healing and transformation don't begin in a prayer appointment. It's when you start living differently. So yeah. true. That's when healing and transformation so happens. Yeah. But but we as Christians, myself included, for years, I just wanted somebody to pray for yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> Good done. Yeah. But there is a, it's exactly what you said. I just say yes to yes. this. This is the component that is missing so often in inner healing ministry. Is but but it's because it's up to the other person. Right. 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 You can't one of them do it for them. We can all of us who are in the yep. prayer ministry can war for for someone, yep. fight for someone, yep. stand yep. for someone, yep. hold space for someone, but, and they'll get yeah. they'll get the truth from God that will set them free. Mm -hmm. so it's but then, but, but they have to yes. live it. Yes, you know everything you're talking. Yes, Kelly, um, Good. Troy is my friend. She said she, she calls it our new normal. Mm -hmm. We have to embrace our new normal. Yep. That's it. Yep. Um, is your hand raised? Yeah. Kind of sort of. I'm just processing oh. all this. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what Deborah was saying is 
And it kind of goes back to that mirror thing about what we reflect. That even comes down to free will. So if we're, you know, that whole decision of, oh, I've got this new thought, am I going to grab a hold of it and run with it and believe what God said, or am I going to let all this come back? It really is a free will choice. Yeah. Yeah. And and so what we're reflecting, we could be brought up in a certain culture, we could be brought up with all of all of God's goodness and choose to go, eh, I let this thing captivate my attention yeah. and now I'm reflecting that. Yeah. And, and all so choice. for me, even seeing like you were talking about culture and we wonder why don't they think all this? Look what they're reflecting. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't judge it. Just right. Don't, not not from a judgmental, way. critical point, but discernment point of, oh, yeah. they're not beholding Christ as their mirror right. that they're reflecting. They're beholding something else. Yeah. And it gives yeah. you a little more compassion, I think, and understanding. And ability yeah, and, and especially, I think especially when you look at, and I didn't have time to get there today, but when you look at areas of true, like real suffering and wounding. Yeah. And I think that there is, you know, we look at somebody who just seems to still be a victim. You know, and so it's like that something is so real, they feel like a victim. They're saying, Why does this always happen to me? But it's literally like memorizing the same thing over and over again so that the suffering just continues to happen. The the chemical makeup in your body, it's all really still happening. Um, I think so. I wrote it says it's important when feelings become the means of thinking, or if we cannot think greater than we feel, then we can never change. To change is to think greater than we feel. So, um, what, like even victimhood, it says those memories can still elicit an emotional reaction. Your thought about your past, uh, you think about the past enough, and the memories that are very real and easy to recall, they do become automatic. So after 20 years of thinking that way and feeling that way and believing that that's what you are, you've literally memorized suffering by your recurrent thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've remembered and memorized suffering into your very identity and the core of who you are, and so you then reflect that out of the world and it continues to happen to you. So we can even stop and reverse that. Uh-huh, Sue? Some people like to reverse and rehearse them, uh-huh. and they want to hang on to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how long it takes them to get rid of it, but mm-hmm. they do like to reverse it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it feels good. It feels familiar. It's just become the operating system. And half the time you don't know you're doing it. It's just coming out. That's where community can be so helpful. Exactly. Relationships where people can say, hey, I see this. Have a mirror. Hold a mirror. Yeah. And that's why it's good for us to be taught this because if I was a counselor, I would be pissed at the person that keeps coming back to me with the same problem. So you telling me this is letting me know how I can tell him to change your thinking. Quit coming back to me every time saying the same thing over and over, the same prayer over and over. It's actually in the way you're thinking. And being a pastor for 10 years will do the same thing. It's like, so, you know, just put this out in the airwaves that, listen, you can do things differently. Um, okay, I am going to stop here, I think. Um, okay, let's just okay, to cap it off. Number one, I have to remind myself who I am, and now we have tools to do that. I'm reminding, literally, 
and I am then re-feeling what it looks like to be reminded of who I am. This is what it looks like to be me. This is what it feels like to be me, the true authentic me. Um, number two, I can reframe past thoughts or experiences based on the truth of God's word, based on the truth of what, like Deborah said. You can get the thought in the inner heel. This is what Jesus really says about that. I can reframe that thought, but then I have to actively begin to walk it out. Yeah. Rehearse it, that new way of thinking. Practice thinking and feeling that new thought over and over and over and over again. Wire it in. All right, I'm going to end with Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, just to tie a nice bow on this. Um, as for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. For the path has been already marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm or what feels comfortable and familiar, the way I've always felt. And we fasten our gaze onto Jesus, who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. So again, all this brain science and all of that is great and it is truth, but devoid of the truth of God and what he is saying, then it's really all kind of meaningless. So it is all about reflecting him and listening to him and what is he saying, and that is being hardwired in, and that produces lasting transformation and change. So, Father, I just thank you that you have provided for us all that we need, Lord. All wisdom and understanding, you have given us access. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you know the thoughts of God, that you also know our own heart, and you know, Lord, how we hear. And so I thank you that you are communicating to us on a deep and even cellular level who we really are, what is authentic and true and real about us. And I thank you, Lord, that every single one of us in here are being powerfully transformed by what you say. Lord, I thank you, and I just bless the full, authentic expression of every woman in here. And I just I speak to your spirit, women. I just say that you get to arise and shine and be full of the glory of God, fully expressing the multicultural, multicolored, vast beauty and array of God's glory and his splendor. We thank you, Lord, that you have actually created us to shine. And so, Lord, we will just continue to gaze in your face and thank you that we get to reflect you and who you are and what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.